Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Bill James. I'm an occupational therapist with the SSM Rehabilitation Network in St. Louis, Missouri, and editor of the Technology Special Interest Section quarterly newsletter. I will be your moderator for this call. On behalf of the TSIS leadership team, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the AOTA TSIS virtual chat for December. You can participate in this call by telephone or by computer. You can listen live by telephone, uh, calling in to 724-444-7444 and entering call ID 138131. Or you can also participate in the call on the web by visiting talkshoe.com slash TC slash 13, I'm sorry, 138131. Again, that's talkshoe.com slash TC slash 138131. Of course, you can just listen to the discussion, but we would encourage you to actively participate by submitting your questions for our guests. You can type questions or comments into the chat section of our TalkShoe page, and we will also open up phone lines a little bit later so that you can ask questions by phone. This evening, we will be discussing the topic of the December 2015 TSIS quarterly newsletter titled 3D Printing, Shaping the Future of Occupational Therapy Practice. If you would like to download the article, AOTA members can go to aota.org slash TSIS, look in the resources section, and click technology special interest section quarterly newsletter. Our guest this evening is the author of that newsletter, Robin Jansen. Robin is an occupational therapist and a hand therapist at Methodist Sports Medicine and adjunct lecturer in occupational therapy in the School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences at Indiana University on the campus of Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis. She is currently employed part-time in both of those roles while also working on a post-professional doctorate in occupational therapy at IU. Her favorite subject to teach is orthotic fabrication, which is a perfect fit for this evening's conversation. And she's been teaching at IU for over 17 years. Robin, thank you for joining us. Thank you, I appreciate this opportunity. Well, great. Let's dive right in. Uh, one of the reasons I love working on the TSIS is that we get to look at some interesting intersections of cutting-edge technology and rehabilitation. Uh, arguably, one of the hottest technologies to emerge over the last few years has been consumer-ready additive manufacturing or 3D printing. Uh, I think that OTs and CHTs around the world are excited about the possibilities of using 3D printing in practice and you're one of the small but growing groups that are actually doing it. Uh, there are undoubtedly also lots of people out there who don't really know what 3D printing is yet. So for the uninitiated, could you start out by giving us a quick primer? What's 3D printing and why should we care? Sure. Um, 3D printing is a method of forming objects through the successive layering of a material. Um, it's a process similar to the building of a brick wall where it's built layer by layer by layer. 
um, these objects, when they're 3D printed, they're formed upon uh, what's called a build platform. And I will briefly uh, go ahead and describe the process based on the, the 3D printer that I own, which is a FlashForge Creator. The units have an extruder, which you can think of as a fancy hot glue gun. This fancy hot glue gun pulls in plastic filament that is on a roll, and it's fed in from the top of the extruder. The extruder heats it to about 440 degrees Fahrenheit and then pushes it out the base uh, through a nozzle where it deposits that initial layer of plastic on the build platform, and then the layers successfully build upon one another. To form the length and the width of an object, um, the extruder is positioned on carriages, uh, metal rails, and they move from side to side, which we call the x-axis. And then they also move back and forth along what is the y-axis. For an object to be able to increase in height, um, the build platform, again, this is my unit, other units um, differ, the build platform progressively lowers, and we call this the z-axis. So for my unit, um, the build envelope, which is the size of the largest object, which generally you wouldn't print anything that, that large, um, you wouldn't print out to the edge of your build platform because then there's a tendency um, for potential warping or failure. The build um, envelope for my unit is about 9 inches long by 6 inches wide by 6 inches tall. And so that's the largest theoretically size that I could print. Other printers are smaller, and then some are even much larger than that to print much larger objects. So all of these precise movements that make these intricate objects are controlled by computer software. Um, within the last decade, um, these printers have become increasingly affordable um, and what much more advertised. And my unit was about $1,300 two years ago, and now it sells for about a little over 1000 on Amazon. To, um, then the next question is, okay, so I have an idea how things are printed, but how do I get the designs or the files that control the um, printer to be able to make a particular object? Well, these 3D printable files um, are either designed using special software called CAD software, which many of us have heard that term, computer-aided design, um, if you have the skill. These objects can be downloaded uh, from a 3D printable file. There's uh, a perfect example of that is a repository on the Internet called Thingiverse, T-H-I-N-G-I-V-E-R-S-E, which has many object files to choose from that you can select and download and print on your 3D printer. A third way of uh, getting a file would be to scan an existing object using a camera or a special um, scanner, and basically you're electronically replicating um, an object. So that's kind of a brief introduction to uh, the printer as, as well as how do you get the files to be able to print objects. So this sounds like a potentially uh, really daunting task for people who are <laughs> uninitiated. And I, I do want to get into a bit, uh, a little heads up for people listening. Don't worry. <laughs> I think Robin has done a great job of laying out the technical details, but also what she does so well in her quarterly newsletter, and I think we'll talk about more in a bit, is how easy that can actually be. Not that it doesn't take some practice and some skill, 
but that this is something that I think most of us, or uh, many of us, could learn to do. Um, oh, abs- absolutely, if I can interject. Please. I, uh, I gave myself a year. I had a goal of one year, uh, and I actually became pretty independent in being able to download and print and troubleshoot when some printing uh, issues occurred in about three months. There are a lot of great resources available. Um, So if I can do it, I I do not have a technical background. I was not (laughs) a strong STEM student, and I basically fell in love with 3D printing when I saw it on the Internet, and I I had a a friend of mine fabricated a – they actually 3D printed a RoboHand for me. So through that, my interest in that, that is what led me to wanting to learn how to use a 3D printer because of all the other cool things that I could make. Gotcha. So, you know, it's interesting. We're we're talking about a technology that has been around for a while in one form or another. It's finally getting this more consumer-ready level, right? It's getting to the point that you and I can do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it doesn't require uh, a lot of it doesn't require a lot of expertise or additional training. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's part of what really sets this apart from more traditional manufacturing techniques. One of the reasons 3D printing is so popular right now is for rapid prototyping. Companies are talking about using it to spit out parts quickly in maybe ways that they couldn't do with traditional manufacturing processes. So how is this different from uh, the way companies tend to make plastic objects? Um, It's, well, the materials with what we use at the consumer level with our desktop printers, um, the plastics that we use may not have the ability to be printed in such a way to have the durability that some of the manufacturers do. Um, But certainly when it comes to prototyping ideas, objects, and then if, depending on how many you need, with a 3D printer, if what you can print on your printer is suitable and you only need a few, or if you have several printers and want to print a great deal, I mean, you can set up your own manufacturing. There are some places that have what they call, um, I don't know, maker farms, where they have a whole wall of 3D printers that they have running to uh, make objects that they're, that they're selling. Um, so the materials are slight, can, be, can be different from what uh, manufacturers use. And I also, I, I, I'm not an expert in the manufacturing industry with the mm-hmm. plastics that they use, but I think some of those, there's certain ways of, of doing molding and such where, you know, the plastic is uh, injected in or where the plastic has to go through a curing process that I'm unfamiliar with. But um, there's a fair number of objects that are suitable for 3D printing. So well, that's about the best that I can this. answer that. Sure. Well, let's get into that a little bit. So uh, you laid out beautifully, I think, the the basic way that the machine works, uh, that it's this additive process of laying down layers of plastic based on a a digital file that you've found or come up with or generated. Mm -hmm. Um, That description, though, you talked about these plastics and pushing them through what's essentially a fancy hot glue gun. So we're talking about heat-sensitive plastics. Uh, It starts out semi-rigid. Uh, and then it's heated until it's malleable and formed into a, a custom shape. So yes. I think, in my mind, as soon as I heard about 3D printing, one of the most obvious applications in OT, uh, that sounds very similar to the process for making splints and some orthoses and prosthetics. Um, so 
in my mind, that seemed like the, the most obvious application. So how do these plastics, how do these materials compare to what OTs are used to thinking of uh, with splints? Um, the two common plastics that are used uh, in consumer desktop 3D printing, now there's a wide variety of materials and there's new ones coming out all the time, but the two common ones have been ABS, which is the material that Legos are made of, and PLA, which is a material that is um, a plant starch-based material. Now, ABS, once it, an object is printed in ABS, you can't heat it up again and, and remold it, kind of like we, what we experience with our orthoses. Now, PLA, on the other hand, you can 3D print an object in that material, and you can heat it, but it has to be a higher heat level than what we're accustomed to. I mean, generally, our thermoplastics, we're heating them around 150 degrees to make them malleable. The PLA um, has to be heated to probably around 400 degrees Fahrenheit. So you've got oh to get real, really hot. I can, I can boil water and get it to soften a bit, but it doesn't have the, the, the extreme moldability like we're um, accustomed to with the low-temperature thermoplastics. Now, I've been looking to see if someone does have a filament that mimics the material that we use to fabricate our low-temperature thermoplastic orthoses. I'd love to, to try that out. I assume that would mean uh, really needing to fine-tune and turn down the temperature of your extruder, of your nozzle. Um, is it possible to get it down to a low enough temperature? Uh, you could adjust, but, but, but you, it's the material. It's the melting point of the particular material. Gotcha. So the, the, yeah, so the PLA, generally, the, the specifications, the materials you buy have specifications as to the heating temperature. And so to make it at a melting point where it's going to ooze and lay nice layering as it, constru as it prints the object, PLA needs to be heated about 200 degrees Celsius, which is what, 400, a little over 400 degrees Fahrenheit. So, and so yeah, that is quite a bit quicker. Will not affect it. Sorry, and so, yeah, that is quite a bit uh, warmer than anything I think we're used to using in the clinic, uh, yes. especially if we want to turn around and slap uh, an orthosis, a splint on a client right there, uh, yes. using the heat still left in the plastic to keep it malleable and moldable until it's formed. It sounds like that may not be an option. This is a process more for generating rigid objects. Is that yes. a fair statement? Okay. I, yes, I have experimented. I did uh, 3D print what we would term a pre-cut orthosis. Um, basically, it's flat, but it's in the shape of like a, a wrist cock-up orthosis, for hmm. example. So I designed one, and I 3D printed it flat, in PLA material, and then I tested it by heating it in boiling water, and <laughs> I had several layers of stockinette on my form. It, yes, it is very hot, but the cooling time was within five seconds. So there is oh there was no working time with this material. Right, which certainly has its benefits, but uh, can make it difficult to custom form in the clinic. Absolutely. Um, it's, great. it's great for hinges. If you need to do some contouring, ah. the RoboHand folks, uh, the wrist hinge on the RoboHand, they heat that and they can do a slight curve to contour to the anatomy of the wrist. That works out real well. So there's an interesting application. We've, we've talked about uh, splinting. 
uh, and devices, but also as device components, uh, potentially cutting down the fabrication time or the need to order large quantities of, of these components uh, ahead of time and keeping them in stock. It could be used to speed uh, generating a more complex uh, splint, for example. Oh, ab the, absolutely for outriggers, absolutely. Perfect. Um, so then can you see a future where every OT or every CHT has a 3D printer in our clinic and prints uh, parts of splints or orthoses on site? Oh, I think it'd be a great asset. It would be cheaper in the long run. If you look at component prices for uh, hinges and outriggers, uh, when you can make your own, and then you can make them on demand. And we've all been in the clinic and experienced where a coworker used the last outrigger <laughs> and then you need it and it's not there. And so you're going back to making yours out of thermoplastic, a thermoplastic outrigger versus the uh, malleable aluminum like the Digitex, for example. Oh, absolutely. That'd be a great asset. Now, that brings up an interesting point when we get into the, the clinical aspect of this. Uh, and you touched on it briefly in your quarterly article. Uh, if we're jumping right into this idea of building uh, or building parts of uh, our splints, our orthoses out of this material, what are the liability issues? I, I take it these plastics haven't been uh, tested through any FDA process or anything like that to be used as a device, what do therapists need to be thinking about before they dive in? Well, I think it's worth in investigating, um, especially for outriggers and such. I think you, you need to assess um, the durability, the strength. Is it going to break and be potentially harmful? But look at some of the outriggers that we make out of thermoplastic material. You know, and we have clients come back and some of those break off the orthosis. Um, it's Having the knowledge of, of what you're making, the strength and the demands, uh, any potentials for any skin irritation, any skin issues, um, checking just to make sure with your business office, say, this is what we're doing, let's make sure that we've got liability insurance that covers this, because obviously manufacturers, you know, that a lot of businesses make products and they have those covered. Um, so I think it just takes a little bit of time to investigate it, um, just well, to make sure. Well, yes, and I think your point is absolutely right about if we talked about outriggers uh, or other components made of existing thermoplastic materials, uh, we've all seen how fragile those can be and how easily they can break. <laughs> and I think anyone who's ever held a Lego in their hand or, God forbid, stepped on one on the floor in the middle of the night, uh, we know that those are, are very <laughs> rigid uh, yep. plastic. Now, essentially also brittle by comparison, but... I think from a strength component, you have a huge potential there to actually improve on <laughs> what we're using in the clinic currently. Uh, and I would love to uh, be less worried that my client would leave their splint in a car on a hot day on the dash and have it come back to me in a pool. Uh, <laughs> so if, if, you're, if you're printing potential. an ABS, if you're printing an ABS. Now, if you are printing in PLA, that it, depending on the... the internal temperature of the car on a hot day, it could mm -hmm. make that material bend just a little bit out of shape. So that potential exists with PLA. Very important point to, to bring up for anyone thinking about this. Um, so 
so far we've talked about one of the obvious applications, right? Uh, this idea of using 3D printing to maybe not replace, but at least augment what we're doing with splinting currently. Uh, but let's talk about another really interesting idea that you brought up in your quarterly. Uh, one of the cool features about the whole process that we're talking about is that this is printing. It's generating physical representations of what starts as a digital file, uh, just like printing a, say, a Word document. Uh, and those digital files can then be shared like any other file online, through email, through uh, Thingiverse or other online communities. So that means if you come up with a great idea, you can share it with anyone else that needs it. And suddenly things become just as shareable as any other Word document. So you do a really nice job in your quarterly of laying out how that can work in the real world. So can you give us some examples? What are people coming up with out there? What are you coming up with? And how are people sharing and changing things? Um, on Thingiverse, I just they recently had an assistive uh, device contest, and I happened to stumble across it. And so through this contest, people who submit winning files or designs can win prizes. So it was interesting to look at what people had submitted. And these are, you know, individuals that have um, computer-aided design skills, and they enjoy doing this. Um, with the Thingiverse um, objects, if you, for uh, listeners, if you look into it, Look and read what's, what's called the Creative Commons licensing because that pretty much outlines the parameters for use. So, for example, if I make a design and I share it on Thingiverse, I may set the, the licensing such that I will let anybody freely download it, alter it, change it, come up with it, sell it, sell the design, or I may restrict um, the usage. So that's something to take a look at. But the whole movement with the 3D printing, the maker movement, is based a lot on sharing. Um, a lot of the 3D printed parts can be 3D printed. The files are available on Thingiverse to do so. So it's definitely the community has a, has a, a philosophy or spirit of sharing. Also, I've had the opportunity. I don't have the design skills yet. I'm slowly working on learning CAD. But a lot of the, I've had a couple designers that I, I've enjoyed their, their objects on um, Thingiverse, but I've made some recommendations for changes, and they've been more than happy to, to do so. so. So by sharing designs, people can build on them, alter them, reiterate them, and actually it's a quick way for design improvement. So that's a really interesting point that you bring up. So uh, here you are, our, our expert on the call, uh, and I say that sincerely, uh, and having very <laughs> I'm little, and, well, I, I'm, I'm very serious, and, and having very little experience with design, uh, you're not a CAD designer, you're not an engineer by background, uh, and I think we're at this really interesting point as a profession where we have this opportunity for the intersection of design and engineering and rehab, so it's, I, it's heartening to me as a nerd to my core, as someone who likes to play <laughs> engineer even though he's not, that, uh, that the input of a therapist, of an OT, of a CHT is going into and working alongside with uh, engineers and designers to create better devices for people um, that people will actually use. Um, so 
uh, I'm curious then, and this may be uh, this may be beyond you, but I'll ask anyway. Do you get the impression that the people coming up, at least originating a lot of these designs, are designers, engineers, rehab professionals, or just people who recognize the need for a better device? Well, I think they are hobbyists with that, that could be engineers that have some CAD experience. In terms of rehabilitation, uh, especially with what I've seen on Thingiverse, uh, I don't think you have a lot of rehabilitation experts that are um, putting out designs because I don't think many of them have the, the skills or the background to do so. So a lot of the pr objects that I see <clears throat> that I think are relevant to OT practice, you know, I really look at them and I think, wow, and, and, and that actually I had that experience. You know, do you mind if I talk about the plastic cap wrench? Please. Okay. Well, I, I'm always looking for things that I can that are usable for OT application. And I came across a design called the plastic cap wrench by uh, a, someone, and I don't know their background, and I ought to email them and say, who are you? Can you share some info? Because I've been talking about you. <laughs> um, Geova Joe. And this plastic cap wrench is a great tool for hands that have arthritis, weakness, for opening um, bottles. Um, one of my professors um, had rheumatoid arthritis, and she would always slide her water bottle to me to open it. Well, this little device is handy. It's kind of a circular um, object with uh, a handle, and you slide it over the plastic cap, and then you just push on the lever, and it easily um, opens up the, 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 the bottle top. Well, when it was first put on Thingiverse, it was about a half an inch wide. The edges were 90-degree angles, which were corners that when you push against those with your tissue, with your hand, that, that, that can be uncomfortable. And it, I also actually took a drill, and I drilled a hole in the handle so that, that way I could put it on a keychain. Well, I, this was the first time that I contacted one of the design somebody who put up the designs, Yoga Joe, and I said, you know, I think you've got a great idea here, but let's make a few changes, and I think it'll be even better and more uh, user-friendly. So I asked this individual to make it about one-third the thickness because I could change my print settings to make it stronger with how much info I put inside. And then I asked that they get rid of, they eliminate those 90-degree sharp corners and basically they fillet it. I think the term's called fillet, uh, and that's the rounding of the corner, so that way it's nice and smooth and soft against the skin when you push against the handle. And uh, Geova Joe went ahead and put a hole into the handle. So these can be printed, put on the keychain. Um, the only real challenge is, is finding sizes because plastic bottles, there is no standardization in bottle top sizes. Hmm. Uh, so. I've, uh, I've got like a whole key ring of all these percentages of sizes um, that I kind of test out to see which one fits a particular plastic bottle. So that, I, it was exciting um, to, to collaborate because I used my skills um, from hand therapy and understanding biomechanics and soft tissue, and this individual made those changes, so it was really neat. And is this the device... Uh... I believe the title on that file is Plastic Cap Wrench Jova Remix Rounded. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, for our listeners out there, I will post the link to uh, that device if you want to see what Robin's talking about. Uh, it just went up in our chat group, 
It's at thingiverse.com slash thing colon seven one one six seven one. And that's up in our chat if you'd like to check the link there as well. Again, that's at thingiverse.com slash thing colon seven one one six seven one. And I think that's a great example. Uh, it's interesting, as you said, not even knowing this person's background, uh, but there are plenty of people out there, consumers, engineers, designers, who uh, have good ideas, just like therapists have good ideas but don't know the uh, engineering or design requirements. We have engineers and designers who could use a little bit of that input of the the 17 years of experience and expertise you have in hand and what it takes to to use a device, as did your colleague. So um, I think that's a just a perfect example of what both this technology and the community that's grown up around it uh, has for the future of, of our profession. So it, it's funny that the title of your article, that Shaping the Future of OT, uh, this may seem a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I really do think you're at, again, you're at that really interesting intersection uh, and I think it's one of the places that we on the TSIS think that we need to go as a profession. So I, I really want to commend you for, <laughs> for taking that step and building <laughs> that, that relationship and that interaction with someone uh, who brought so much to the, to the process. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm looking and, forward to implementing this. We've, I'm starting to implement 3D printing in our curriculum at IU with our students, and they are all very excited to learn. And I actually have some that are already telling me that they're trying to learn CAD on their own. Absolutely. The the student interest is extremely strong. It's it's exciting. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, in case any of our listeners out there haven't read uh, your quarterly yet, can you describe for us what you're doing there uh, with the students? Okay. It began with, um, when I first started learning about 3D printing, I pretty much shared my journey with my students. I teach every fall and spring and and summer too. Um, I teach orthotics and then in the summer I teach an introduction to OT course. So while I'm teaching orthotics, I was sharing with students, hey, guess what I'm learning, 3D printing. And so I pretty much shared all of my experiences and I would bring in things that I I was working on. The first um, time I used a 3D printed device for an instructional aid, was when I was teaching on prosthetics about the activities measure for upper limb amputees. I mean, generally, as an instructor, I can only kind of lecture on it and talk about how you score um, task performance. Well, I had made a robo hand that fitted me. And so in front of the class, I went through the tasks using the robo hand and had the students score me. And it was just fascinating because everybody was so cool, you know, so excited to see it. And then we had an opportunity to discuss why we scored how we did. And then as time went on, I kept looking for, okay, I can 3D print bone models. And instead of trying to explain the concept of MP joint collateral ligament lengthening and shortening with MP extension and MP flexion, I could demonstrate it. I took a, uh, I printed a metacarpal. I printed a proximal phalanx. I used uh, latex that I had set up and I had sewed it into the bone so that I could take that joint, put an extension, and you could see slack in the collateral ligaments, and then I can flex the joint and you could see the collateral ligaments become tight. And then students, in their eyes, they had that aha moment. So I'm continuously thinking of ways that I can um, use a 3D printer uh, to facilitate learning. And, and just this summer, I had students as an assignment 
search Thingiverse for things that uh, were applicable to OT in terms of assistive devices. And then I printed a few that I brought in, and the students actually tried them out and talked about them. Just this summer, I'm sorry, just this summer, our department, I talked them into buying a 3D printer. And so this spring, I'm going to work on getting the students trained and using the printer. And I think what we'll do is set a date for a maker fair. And as an assignment, we'll have a lot of uh, 3D printed assistive devices uh, that we'll show off to, to the school. So there you've laid out a couple of really interesting ways to, to really engage students. Uh, on a on a couple of different fronts, right? One is again coming back to the ability to create their own assistive devices. Um, you mentioned generating bone models, um, and bone models can be purchased. You could easily have gone to a catalog, uh, and probably even to Amazon, ordered one and had one at your doorstep in a few days. Uh, what's the benefit of 3D printing it as opposed to just purchasing that model? Um, I can print a whole hand skeleton for probably less than $3 that's disarticulated, uh, whereas that would cost, I think, at least 15 to 20 Also, with some of the models, I, you know, I'm attaching ligaments, kind of doing some of my own custom work. You can also change the sizing. Um, for example, that MP joint model that I made, the metacarpal I printed was about, uh, I don't know, about three to four inches long. Um, so you have all that adjustability. I have provided um, some kits for our students that are disarticulated bone kits um, for the carpus, and it is quite uh, oh. it's quite humbling because you're so used to. I mean, in, in hands we have to know our anatomy, so we're really good with our clinical anatomy. But you're used to seeing uh, a carpus, all the bones, all the carpal bones, flat, not really in a 3D. Um, perspective. So if I were to lay out a glob of putty, theraputty, in front of you and then give you eight carpal bones and say, okay, make a transverse carpal arch. Wow. Make, when you start to position the carpal bones, it becomes really difficult because you're not used to viewing it in that manner. So that's one of the activities um, that the uh, hand elective um, students do. And so it's real exciting uh, when they finally figure out how to position the bones three-dimensionally within the putty. That's fantastic. And to think, uh, again, the, the price difference there just for the material versus uh, pre-formed model uh, as a learning experience to have the disarticulated uh, bones that one could then construct for when the price becomes that low, uh, it really removes the barrier to practically any student in the class having their own model to work with, as opposed to, I think, going through school and uh, each of us uh, clamoring for the, the few models that we had, especially around exam time, <laughs> everyone uh, trying to, to get their hands on, so to speak, to give them the opportunity potentially to have their own model to study from. But boy, to, to put those together, you're absolutely right, in three-dimensional space, as opposed to looking at it in a book or, an, or a pre-prepared model uh, sounds extremely powerful. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and to be able to have these models, and if you wanted, you can take tape or whatever materials that you want, and you can make your origins, your insertions, and you can customize your model to fit your learning needs. 
And if something gets broken or lost, it can be easily reprinted. That's fantastic. Uh, without having to replace the entire model <laughs> at that. <laughs> yes. uh, my goodness. So I want to come back to something you mentioned uh, leading into that, uh, that you recently convinced uh, the program to purchase a 3D printer. Now we've talked uh, briefly before about the fact that the cost has come down considerably over the, over the last couple of years. It's not exactly a new technology, but I think that affordability is making it such a consumer-ready product and possibly a, a rehab-ready product. But for those of us who don't have $1,300 just burning a hole in our wallet wanting to get started, uh, or maybe who aren't part of an academic institution, how can people get started with this? Where can they go for information? Where can they go to, to maybe dip their toes in and uh, get started? Well, within our community, there is a 3D printing company that has an educational division, and they offer uh, 3D printing courses throughout the city at high schools, libraries. And I actually took one of their courses because I wanted to see what they taught and what the structure was. And wonderfully, uh, four hours of the course was CAD. Loved it. It was a great introduction for me. And then we had about an hour uh, roughly learning their machines and, and printing an, an object that we had designed during the class. That by attending that particular, it was a certification workshop for 3D printing, uh, it's by attending that at the particular library, I now can go to that library if I needed to, show my card, and I can use one of their 3D printers there. So the 3D printers are becoming uh, available within libraries, schools, so that's something to check out. Um, Kristen Larimore introduced me to, uh, I wasn't aware of it, but you can uh, rent a 3D printer. So if you wanted to test one out, just look online, and you can have one sent to your home for a week for, uh, you know, for a low price, and uh, you can get some experience uh, printing uh, with that unit. And then if you decide you want to buy it, I think that part of the rental uh, fee will go towards the purchase price. Uh, so... Um, I think that's that's a great way to get started. And also just ask around. I did not know <laughs> that my son's best friend's father had a 3D printer. I When I wanted <laughs> to print the RoboHand, I didn't know anyone. And so months and months went by, and then somehow in casual conversation, I learned that somebody that I'm somewhat connected to has a 3D printer. And when I asked him to print it, he was thrilled. And I within a week, I, I had the parts. And he's been a great resource. So, you know, ask on Facebook, ask your friends. I uh, actually have another um, friend who is the ultimate 3D printing nerd. He can design, he can build them, he can fix them. And uh, I uh, network with him quite a bit. I actually, uh, <laughs> I didn't know, I met him through Facebook, and I didn't know him very well. And he lives uh, about a half hour from me. He needed to do... Um, a uh, couple large models for um, a blind school um, camp, and his 3D printer failed, and he's a student. And so I made a leap of faith. He asked if he could use my printer. So I loaned him my, my 3D printer without knowing him very well, and that definitely uh, definitely helped our uh, foster our relationship because now I feel like I can ask anything of him, <laughs> ask him to design <laughs> things that I need. So Jacob has been a wonderful asset. So build your network. Lots of online resources, and uh, yeah, uh, if anybody else wants to share um, some ideas, uh, that's what's worked well for me. 
Oh, also I forgot to mention, uh, our university has several printers, uh, and I'm not sure what the availability is to be able to come in and use them. Um, I know some are print for fee. Uh, UPS uh, stores have, uh, some of them have 3D printers. And just to kind of give you an idea of the pricing, because this was something that I was curious about, that plastic cap wrench that I described a moment ago, to print it, it takes about 25 cents of plastic, uh, just plastic alone um, when I print it. When I sent the design file to UPS to get a quote, their quote was about $20 to print it. So just to kind wow. of give you all an idea. <laughs> so it, it could be well worth if you have a good number of things that you want to print to perhaps rent a unit or start checking to see if there's a local library with a printer. Hey, Robin, can I jump in yes. with a couple of resources that I've found? Please do. <laughs> um, in addition to this, so I got started just in – my local library here in Chattanooga, they have a printer. I was tinkering around, and I decided to go and print one of my files. But I've also found um, there's a website called 3dhubs.com, and it's oh, sort yeah. of like, um, I mean, it's basically like a Craigslist for 3D printing or like an Airbnb or something like that where you can go online to this website, 3dhubs.com, and you can find people in your area or in your region who have printers, and then you can actually negotiate a price with them and send it to them, and they'll print it for you, and either you know you can pick it up or they'll mail it or whatever. Um, That's excellent. Uh, sorry, yeah. may I interrupt for sorry. just one second, just for the benefit sure. of our other listeners out there, please introduce yourself so they know uh, what a great resource they're getting here. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry. Um, so I'm Kristen Laramore. I was Kristen Raglan back at a few months ago, but I got married. So my name is Kristen Laramore. I am an occupational therapist in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I work for a company called Stellar Therapy Services. And for the most part, I do school system therapy. But 3D printing has sort of become my odd side hobby. <laughs> and um, and I've, I've gotten to know a whole lot of things about it. And Robin and I have been in touch via Facebook and email and that sort of thing, and so we sort of share our ideas and, and what we found. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to make sure that everyone out there knew <laughs> uh, this is obviously this? very good, credible information, yes, and they, they should be aware of who you are. Lettered random voices. Um, <laughs> and the other, the other website that I've found um, is Shapeways. And they actually, they have a, a full set of, you know, um, things that you can purchase that other people have designed that they've uploaded. But they also have a service where you can send them your file and they will print. And they print in materials ranging from the materials you talked about, PLA, ABS, various plastics, all the way up to resin, metals, ceramics, all sorts of different things. Um, again, they're not nearly as cost-effective as something that you might print at your house, but they do have those options. So that's pretty interesting. If you wanted to custom design something and prototype it in one of the plastics that you talked about, and then and if you decided that it works, then you could print it in, say, titanium or something like that for still way less than you could get a customized anything in the medical world. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. To the point uh, kind of that was mentioned just a moment ago, 
Um, <laughs> random voices aren't necessarily a bad thing. And I think, uh, Robin, you made a great point of just having conversations with people, uh, just talking with people and finding out what all of the like-minded individuals out there and that this is a very popular technology right now. I know my experience here in St. Louis was very similar, uh, wanting to get started with 3D printing, not knowing where to go. And just by making a Facebook post, asking if anyone knew anything about it, uh, the response was really surprising to find out that uh, my own university had a farm of 3D printers on another campus uh, that uh, we had access to, and then to find uh, a nonprofit maker space uh, in St. Louis, the one here locally is uh, known as Arch Reactor, and these exist all over the country, uh, these nonprofit and not-for-profit uh, maker spaces where people get together to uh, essentially tinker and build and design and develop uh, and support one another. Uh, I think that is the part that has been most impressive to me when talking with people involved in 3D printing and all of these other uh, maker communities. Uh, there seems to be very little ego and a lot of desire to help one another and train one another uh, and support one another. So I'm glad to hear that both of you had similar experiences and that wasn't just local here. And I Absolutely. Think really well. I, I have, yeah, I've certainly had that, um, that experience. In fact, um, after, you know, we, I did a presentation on it at the state conference in Tennessee, and then that sort of ballooned into a, a discussion about it and a technology presentation at AOTA last year. And then after that, I was contacted by, you know, a guy who does, um, have engineering in Virginia, and he had just seen it online and sent me an email. And then he ended up sharing some of his files, which which I've been able to um, sort of rework into into something customized for the students that I work with. And it's just it's I love that people share their files for free. <laughs> and it's not it's not the ego, it's not the almighty dollar. It's just people who want to help or people who want to share ideas. And it's exciting. It's oh yeah, it, it, it is. Point. And it's nice to have some other OTs that are into 3D printing because when I first got started, I felt kind of lonely. And then I met Tiana <laughs> Esham of Rebel Hand USA, and then I started looking online, and that's how I found you, Kristen. And then um, there's another gentleman, Jason Hughes from uh, Georgia Regents University. Um, that had presented at AOTA, and it was through the conference brochure when I saw that you two had presented, uh, I contacted you two, and, and we're all together in a, in a Facebook group <laughs> to, to try to share um, information and kind of look for more applications and move things along, hopefully. So we need more OTs that are 3D printing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I was going to, um, if you don't mind, for just a second, Robin, kind of build on, you were talking about all of the great things that you're doing with students and um, splinting and that kind of thing. And I'm kind of coming at this from a whole different angle. I was listening to your anatomy models and I was like, wow, that's great, but that sounds hard. <laughs> and I'm, I'm primarily a school system therapist. Um, kind of bounced around a little bit, but for the most part, that's where I've used 3D printing so far. And it's primarily been adaptive equipment. So um, I had a little guy who has cerebral palsy, and he wasn't able to hit 
just a very simple yes-no app on his iPad. So I was able to customize the key guard just for this specific app. And now he can choose without his hand sliding off, just like you would find on like an Ogcom device or something like that. And then I was able to actually build on that and, and customize it for another student's specific curriculum that she was working with. She had difficulty, again, hitting the correct buttons. So it's just simple stuff like that. Um, trying to look back through some of my files. I, um, I've made some stencils for some students who are really having difficulty writing their name. Um, I have some students who really realistically will never write their name. So we've made them, I've printed them a, a stamp with their name on it and a stamp with various other things that, so that they can participate within the classroom routine. Um, I printed, I printed a, uh, a holder for a milk carton. So the student wasn't able to actually wrap his hands around the milk carton, but he can hold a small handle. And so they can put the milk carton in the holder, and then he can hold the handle and bring it to his mouth. So most of the applications that I've had have been adaptive equipment, customizing things, sort of mostly tinkering around, like you said, but, um, but sort of in a, in a different realm than you have. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, you know, our different perspectives. You know, I've got the orthopedic background and hands. And Absolutely. So this, this is great pulling us together so that we can um, – because I, I know there's tons of other applications. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. That I haven't even thought of because I'm just not in those areas to think of them. So that is awesome, Kristen. Well, and I think that was reflected at AOTA at the Happy Hour Tech Day session, uh, Kristen, where the, the crowd that showed up there was impressive and diverse in terms of practice area. Um, and I think we can expect the same this year. Uh, Robin, you're heading up a short course titled Introduction to 3D Printing Technology and Application and Applications in Occupational Therapy at 8 a.m. on Thursday, April 7th. Uh, what can people expect out of that session? Well, it's exciting because uh, Kristen, who's on the call, is going to be one of the co-presenters along with Tina Esham and uh, Jason Hughes of Georgia Regents. This is an introductory uh, short course. It's 90 minutes. And so basically we are going to talk about um, how to get started in 3D printing. So we're going to talk about the hardware, software, um, the materials that used, uh, that we use, how to get the files. Um, so we'll have a, a rich PowerPoint presentation, uh, be able to show some things live um, uh, with our computers. And then some of the troubleshooting. Uh, I don't know, Kristen, I'm sure you've had your fair number of uh, troubleshooting <laughs> that you've had to do with a 3D printer. And I'll, honestly, I've learned a lot through trial and error. Um, and so the errors, uh, you know, with, with things not sticking to the build platform, there's some things that can go <laughs> wrong with 3D printing, but, but you can problem solve and figure them out. Um, and we plan to talk about how to, you know, finish the objects. There's some things you can do to make them look good because um, they're not always uh, perfect when they're printed. And then we want to showcase that what we're doing in our different areas because we're all doing different stuff. Um, you know, Kristen just described some of her things. I did mine. As I said, uh, Tina Esham is with RoboHand USA, so she's going to talk about RoboHand. Jason um, at AOTA last year did a poster, or this, this year actually, uh, with Amanda Bear, and he was looking into scanning and 3D printing uh, wrist orthoses. 
Um, so I'm going to have him talk about some of the scanning. And then um, just have an opportunity to hopefully network and, and find some other OTs that are uh, into 3D printing that we can kind of share resources with and all grow together. That's very exciting. Uh, and just for a reminder, anyone listening now or listening to this in the future before the AOTA conference in Chicago, that session is a short course, and I just lost sight of it. There we go. It's short course 114. Again, that's at 8 a.m., 8 central, on Thursday, April 7th at the AOTA conference in Chicago. Uh, I think that will be very exciting, and I can't wait to see both of you there uh, at that session. I will be right in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> and, Kristen, um, and Kristen, what session are you doing? I know you're doing another session on 3D printing, so let's get that advertised. Yes, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm also doing a buzz session. Bill can actually probably tell you uh, as much about it as I can. <laughs> um, it's, it's, more of a <laughs> it's more of a question and answer forum um, to kind of go over some of, the, um, some of the questions and concerns that people have about it and if people are just being introduced to it and that sort of thing. So um, it's really more of a question and answer session. And I will have to pull up exactly when that's happening. Well, and you would think that I would be able to help, given that it is a TSIS-sponsored session. Uh, but, of course, I wasn't planning ahead and don't have that information in front of me. That's okay. It looks okay. like uh, the last indication I had was that it would be on Saturday from 8 to 9.30. Yes, that is correct. Uh, good. And <laughs> I was still subject to change last I knew, so... Uh, for anyone out there listening, again, that's on Saturday at the AOTA conference, 8 to 9.30, uh, and that's the TSIS buzz session. So if you, so if you don't find it in that time slot, please look. Yes, and, and so maybe the ideal thing would be that people will come to the short course on Thursday, and then we can answer their questions in a more in-depth fashion on Saturday. Absolutely. I think that's a great, be great plan. Um, I just well, wanted to mention really quickly, if I could, um, you were talking about the CAD software um, as far as designing, and I wanted to just, just throw this out there. I've actually had a little bit of success teaching myself Tinkercad. It's tinkercad.com, and it's just a free, um, a free design platform, and you don't have to have any of those big fancy CAD skills. You basically just drag and drop shapes. And so you can download anything, like if you find something on Thingiverse, but you want to you know, add in a little design element or you want to customize it for yourself or something like that, you can download it and put it in, Thing in Tinkercad. I'm getting mixed up with my websites. <laughs> <laughs> you can put it in Tinkercad and you can customize it there or if you need something really simple, you can just drag and drop various shapes. And, and it's, I mean, I learned how to use it in 15 minutes of watching tutorial videos. And it certainly has been a trial and error process, but, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, I'm sick. Um, it has been a trial and error process, but I have learned it very quickly. And it's a very user-friendly thing that doesn't require, you know, engineer-level computer design work. So Tinkercad.com. The satisfaction of being able to create something. I mean, we all love making things. And to have that satisfaction that you were able to, to make it, that is so awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Well, and another another been, thing to consider okay. is, is that we are going to have clients, therapy clients, that are going to have this experience. And uh, I'm sure uh, the gentleman that printed the rebel hand for me, if he were one of my clients and I suggested to him a piece of adaptive equipment that could be designed and 3D printed, he'd go ahead and do it. <laughs> so it'll be interesting when we get the hobbyists that will be uh, encouraging us or actually giving us some design ideas. Absolutely. And I like the idea of the client being able to help you customize it. They get to pick their color. They get to pick their design elements. They get to, you know, it's not just a white or gray piece of durable medical equipment. It's actually, <laughs> they've had some sort of input on it and they have buy-in. Or so, if it's a child in a clinic, it could be motivational for the treatment session. They could maybe have a, a, a fun object or something really cute that they want to take home and it could be printed during the therapy session and that may help them to maybe be a little more motivated to, to, to do their therapy. Absolutely. Well, Kristen and Robin, uh, obviously the, the possibilities here are unlimited um, and unfortunately <laughs> our time is not. So uh, <laughs> I know you're both very busy uh, with clinical and teaching responsibilities. So I want to thank you both uh, for taking the time to be here uh, and Robin, thank you for taking the time to write uh, this quarterly newsletter and being here with us this evening. Um, my guest this evening has been Robin Jensen, OT and CHT at Methodist Sports Medicine, and adjunct lecturer—sorry, adjunct lecturer in OT at Indiana University, and author of the December 2015 TSIS quarterly newsletter, 3D Printing: Shaping the Future of Occupational Therapy Practice. Robin, it has been a, an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Thank you. And Kristen, thank you also for making the time to, to join the call here. You've got uh, an amazing perspective, and uh, between you and Robin are really uh, bringing this topic to the fore, and I, I appreciate you jumping in and, and helping out this evening. Absolutely. Thanks for letting me jump in. Thank you, Kristen. And it was great to talk with you. Mm-hmm. And I also want to thank everyone else who joined us either live or uh, by phone or online and to those who are listening to the archive version of this virtual chat. If you have additional questions about uh, 3D printing, uh, especially in OT, please do log in to the TSIS forum on OT Connections to continue the conversation. The easiest way to find our OT Connections forum is to go to aota.org TSIS and click on the link in the resources section. Again, that's aota.org slash TSIS. Look under Resources and click the Technology SIS Discussion Forum link. Um, also plan to join us in March when our topic for the virtual chat will be OT's use of telerehabilitation technologies in lower extremity joint replacement. That quarterly will be published on March 1st uh, and feature Jana Kaysen, our uh, TSIS chair, uh, as well as Tammy Richmond. Uh, that date and time of that uh, virtual chat is still to be determined, but will be announced in that quarterly published on March 1st. Until then, on behalf of the Technology Special Interest section, uh, I'm Bill James. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to talking with you again in March. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.